Welcome to the St. Anne Roman Catholic Podcast, coming to you from Gilbert, Arizona. We pray that God will bless your time as you listen. We have reached the end of this series of homilies called Sign of Contradiction. And we do so with the conclusion of the Bread of Life discourse. We have just heard how Christ was abandoned by a large number of his disciples when he taught them what they could not or would not understand. I believe that the great sin of those men was their lack of trust. The great merit of Peter and ten of the disciples was precisely their trust in the Lord. In reality, neither of the two groups understood the words of Jesus that day. The difference was that some trusted Christ and the others did not. To whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. Among the Lord's disciples today, this same problem continues to spread. Some do not trust the teaching on the Eucharist that Christ continues to communicate to us through the Church. The Holy Mass is the realization of the most perfect communion of God with man. Saint Cyril of Jerusalem says that just as two drops of melted wax become one, so he who receives the body of the Lord becomes one with him. As we saw two weeks ago, Holy Communion is also communion with the faith of the Church, which Simon confesses today at the end of the Gospel. A professor I had in the seminary used to insist on this idea, which personally helped me a lot. In the Mass, there are, in reality, two holy communions. The first takes place in the liturgy of the Word, after the proclamation of the Gospel. There we have to commune with the teaching transmitted to us by the sacred scriptures read in the living tradition of the Church. Only after this first Holy Communion can we then take communion in the second part of the Holy Mass, the liturgy of the Eucharist, with the body of the risen Christ. It would be 
a most serious offense to the Eucharist to approach to receive the sacred host without this prior communion with the Word of God in the faith of the Church. The reception of Holy Communion is a union in the flesh with Jesus Christ. Therefore, we can use a bold analogy. It can be compared to the marital union of a man and a woman in marriage. In God's plan, such a moment is the eminent expression of communion between the spouses. They are united physically because their hearts are also one with that love of which St. Paul speaks to us in the second reading today. Only in this way does the intimacy of the marital union have its full meaning. Only in this way is it a happy moment of encounter, of shared love, and of external expression of the communion of life that has made them one soul. In this logic in which the body is the language through which we express the truth of human love, the marital union of two people who do not love each other or who do not live a union of hearts in marriage would be a lie. The conjugal act would be expressing a totality and a union that is not real. Their bodies would be united, but their hearts would be distant from each other. Similarly, receiving Holy Communion without first entering into communion with the Word of God and the teaching of the Church is a lie. In many cases, it is also a sacrilege because it offends the most extraordinary sacrament, the Eucharist. On the day of his ascension, the Lord said to his disciples, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. This all is the content of communion in the Church. One cannot accept some teachings and leave others aside, just as a husband cannot be faithful to his wife only in some aspects and not in others. Fidelity is either complete or it is not fidelity. When a person is not 
in communion with the church either because he is not Catholic or because he descends from the teaching of the church in matters of faith and morals, he should not come forward to receive the Lord. He would be communing his own condemnation. In addition, when this descent and lack of communion is public, because the person lives in an irregular situation, or because his positions against the teaching of our mother, the Church, are known, for example, in relation to gender ideology, the de defense of human life from conception to natural death, or the truth of marriage as a natural institution formed by a woman and a man in communion of life and love, his moral obligation not to approach to receive Holy Communion is united to the obligation of the minister not to give him the body of the Lord. The reason is not that we are inflexible, old-fashioned, unsympathetic, and Pharisees, nor is it a judgment on the person who cannot receive communion. The reason is the priest's love for the eternal good of that person to whom by denying him access to Holy Communion, he thus shows him the objectively disordered situation in which he finds himself. The reason is also his love for Christ in the Eucharist, which he has promised to guard at any price, and love for the communion of the Church, which would be wounded by the scandal of such a situation. Let me conclude with the words of St. John Paul II, speaking of the concrete case of the divorced and remarried with compassion and with clarity, the Pope wrote as follows, and I quote, Together with the Synod, I earnestly call upon pastors and the whole community of the faithful to help the divorced and with solic solicitous care to make sure that they do not consider themselves as separated from the Church. For as baptized persons, they can and indeed must share in her life. They should be encouraged to listen to the Word of God, to attend the sacrifice of the Mass, to persevere in prayer, to contribute to works of charity and to community efforts in favor of justice, to bring up their children in the Christian faith, to cultivate the spirit and practice of penance, and thus implore day by day God's grace. Let 
the church pray for them, encourage them, and show herself a merciful mother, and thus sustain them in faith and hope. However, the church reaffirms her practice, which is based upon sacred scripture, of not admitting to Eucharistic communion divorced persons who have remarried. They are unable to be admitted thereto from the fact that their state and condition of life objectively contradict that union of love between Christ and the Church, which is signified and affected by the Eucharist. Beside this, there is another special pastoral reason. If these people were admitted to the Eucharist, the faithful would be led into error and confusion regarding the Church's teaching about the indissolubility of marriage. End of quote. I conclude this homily and this series of homilies with the same message as St. John Paul II. I ask those who are not in communion with the Church to continue to come to St. Anne, where they are always welcome. I encourage you to participate in the Holy Mass by listening to the Word of God and praying together with the whole community. At the same time, I beg you, for the sake of your souls and for love of the Eucharist, not to approach to receive the body of the Lord. You can make a spiritual communion. Begin first a journey towards full communion with the Church without becoming discouraged, speaking first with a priest and allowing yourselves to be guided by the Church who loves you as her children. If this language is hard for us, and if we are tempted to leave the group of the Lord's disciples and serve the gods, of this world in whose country we are now dwelling and we seem to hear Jesus say to us do you also want to live? let us respond as Simon Peter Master to whom shall we go? you have the words of eternal life we have come to believe and are convinced that you are the Holy One of God. Amen. Thank you for listening to the St. Anne Roman Catholic Podcast. For additional podcasts and media, visit us on the web at www.sanaz.org. Again, that's www.sta
A-N-N-E-A-Z dot O-R-G. St. Anne, pray for us.